Hello, welcome to Alexander the Great podcast episode two. Please write a review on iTunes. Um, if you write a good review and it's five stars and all it's lovely, lovely, you will get a lovely gift from me all the way from Greece. Um, I'm not going to spoil it and tell you what it is, but it's something very simple. <laughs> and it's got the logo of the podcast on, so you can always remember me. Um, I hope you're doing great. Please let me know, even if you don't want to write a review, you can't be bothered writing a review on iTunes, you know, fair enough. Please send me a message on Facebook. I would love to hear what you have to say about the podcast. You can find me on Facebook, um, Alexander the Great Podcast. Um, I reply to everything, obviously. <laughs> I don't have a million of subscribers. Um, I'm also on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube if you like. And you can also subscribe. You should be able to find me on most podcast platforms. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. See you. Bye-bye. To better understand Alexander, we must first talk about Philip, his father. He ruled from 359 to 336, 23 years. As Ian Worthington puts it very nicely, Philip forges the first nation-state of Europe. He also puts Philip on par with other great kings of Europe. Our main sources about Philip's life come from Justin and Theodoros. From them we see how he sets the foundation of his empire through diplomacy, deceit, bribery and military power. He loses his eye on one of many besieges. He then breaks his collarbone, a long bone that serves as a, as a strut between the shoulder blade and the sternum. That must have really hurt. And he also gets a deadly blow to his leg. This, tra this trauma leaves him crippled for the remainder of his life. Warrior king, you know, all the way. He definitely has the bruises to prove it. The Mostenis, uh, the Mostenis, the Mostenis in Greek, Philip's greatest enemy, would want us to believe that he was an imperialist who wanted to end all freedom in Greece. But as we will see, if freedom means constant war and constant alterations of Greek hegemony, then yes, Philip is in no mood for freedom. He wants complete control. He wants to make decisions quickly. You know, fuck this democracy shit is probably what he was thinking. And uh, let's not forget that Plato in his Republic doesn't show democracy much love. He puts it forth as a way of governing people right after oligarchy. Plato ranked them as follows. First he puts aristocracy, then democracy, oligarchy, democracy and tyranny. I'm just saying this to show you that not all Greeks are in love or were in love with democracy. Uh, but let's go back to my previous point, the constant alterations of Greek hegemony and what I mean by that. I mean that we see one city-state rule over others. There wasn't one united country of Greece as we know it today. From the 8th to the 6th century we have the Spartan League. It's very noteworthy that it lasted over 300 years. Uh, after the Persian Wars, we have the Delian League in uh, 477, named after the island of Delos, where the Greeks gathered money to protect themselves from another Persian invasion. In 454, the treasury would move to Athens. This is where the Delian League was renamed to the Athenian League. And as we said, this money was going to be used in case the Persians invaded Greece. 
It also allowed all city-states to have a common goal when dealing with foreign powers. This is where per Pericles abuses a treasury and builds the Parthenon. Every city without a naval fleet would pay 460 silver talents as tax. One silver talent is roughly 3,500 euros, so per year they're paying 1.6 million. The first hegemony of Athens lasts 50 years. When the Peloponnesian War ends, Sparta is back on top. They change their league name to the Peloponnesian League, not as in your face, you know, <laughs> even though Sparta was still top dog. Something was about to happen in 377 in Athens. They were close to setting up a, set a second Athenian League in order to protect themselves from Sparta this time. But Sparta unexpectedly lost against Thebes at the Battle of Lephtron in 371. Sparta loses their king Cleomvrotos, and the legend of Epaminondas is born. With this, with this battle, we have the creation of the Theban hegemony because of the military genius of Epaminondas and Pelopidas. The Battle of Lephtron is very interesting, and I will now describe how the events unfolded. Uh, the Spartans have 11,000 soldiers, and the Thebans have 6,000 soldiers. The Thebans, to begin with, were scared shitless, but Epaminondas encourages them with a morale-boosting speech and his charisma. Usually, battles have armies of each city-state facing each other. The front line is straight at most cases. Epaminondas splits his guys into two teams, one to attack and the other to defend. The left side is where his main guys are and it was used to attack. They're going to create most of the action. They were a little bit ahead of his second team, which was used to defend. The defending side, which is on the right, waited to see the results of the left side. So when they attacked, they would surround the enemy. This tactic was called oblique order, echelon attack, winged attack, has uh, winged, uh, no, weighted wing, sorry, it has many names. Epaminondas was also known for using a pseudo retreat, faking a retreat until the enemy turned his back and then attacking them with everything, with everything he had. Epaminondas begins a battle by ordering, ordering the cavalry to charge, who immediately destroy the right side of the Spartans. They then turn to the center, and along with the sacred band and Pelopidas, they annihilate the unstoppable until then the Spartans. The Thebans lose 300 men, and the Spartans lose around 1,000. Epaminondas and Pelopidas are going to create a massive impression on Philip. It's said that Philip also admired the sacred band, which uh, were the elite of the Theban army. He would watch them train, apparently. Uh, they were created by Gorgidas and were made up of 150 pairs of Theban hoplite lovers. Yes, lovers. Fucking hell, I get comments. Greeks don't like it when I say that there were homosexuals in Greece in, uh, in the 4th century before, you know, BCE. But what can you do, guys? It's fucking history. I didn't make it up, you know? Anyway, I'm telling you this because Philip, during his childhood, will be a prisoner in Thebes. Diodorus tells us that Philip's father, Amindas, loses a battle against the Illyrians and as a result is ordered to pay tax to them. The Illyrians want to ensure that the Macedonians will continue to pay them, so they take Philip hostage as a collateral. They later, they later turn him to the Thebans, 
so they can take care of him, specifically they turn him to Epaminondas' father, Diodorus also says that he was assigned a Pythagorean philosopher as a teacher. This teacher is probably Parmenes, who according to Plutarch was also Philip's lover. However, Plutarch and Justin tell us a, a slightly different tale. Uh, we see that Alexander II, Amindas' first heir to the throne, Philip's older brother, loses a battle against the Thebans, who asked for 30 young Macedonian nobles to be handed over to them. One of them was Philip. From Epaminondas, he learns how to utilize the element of a surprise attack, and also, more importantly, how to combine the cavalry, 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 yes, I'm saying that right, right, uh, with the infantry. Philip here is about 13 years old. He will spend the next three years in Thebes, from 368 to 365, according to various sources. Now, imagine being 13 years old. If we choose to believe the others, you've been a prisoner in two different cities, one of which is the superpower of their time. You see how a proper army is being trained. Philip must have heard of the Athenians and their democracy. Thebans and, Ath and Athenians don't get along. All these experiences leave their mark. You know, diamonds are made under pressure. Or if, if you prefer Nietzsche, who doesn't kill you, only makes you stronger. Theodorus says that Philip escapes, but he was probably let free as an act of goodwill. Or maybe they were just tired of him. You know, there are only so many boys you can fuck on a single day. I'm kidding, I'm sorry, no, no. Pedophilia is not funny, but it's true, it happened then, you know. It's a different time. He returned to Macedonia at the same time his brother Perdikas III was crowned king of Macedonia. Uh, he was showing signs of more of a philo-Theban than a uh, anti-Athenian, than a philo-Athenian attitude. He was mostly anti-Athenian. At this point in time, we are under Theban hege hegemony. This lasts until 362, when a coalition of Athenians, Spartans, Ilius, or Ilians, I don't know how you'd say in English, and Achaeans lose a battle against the Thebans. Yes, they lost the battle, the Battle of Mandinia, but the Thebans lose uh, the hegemony. It went quite well for them, but in total it just didn't go great. Uh, let's talk about the history of Macedonia or Macedonia or Macedon, many names. In Greek it's Macedonia, uh, and the most famous kings leading up to Philip. The most famous king is uh, before Philip is Archelaus. He ruled from 413 to, 320, to, to 399. Archelaus brought Evripides or Euripides to Macedonia, to Macedonia, and he also gave him the title of Eteros, which means he who is close to the king. Some say Archelaus was the one that moved the capital from Aegis to Pella. Others say that it was Philip, is a slightly confusing matter. This guy, anyway, has a very violent past. To get to the throne, he murders his uncle, cousin, and younger brother, who is seven years old. Uh, he is then killed by his son-in-law. Plato uses him as an example to avoid in Gorgias. Uh, uh, even though he's a tough son of a bitch, he creates a solid for the time Macedonian city. He gets along well with the Thessalians. Thessalians and Philip will have a very important relationship. We're going to talk a lot about them in the future. From the death of Archelaus to Philip's dad Amindas, Amindas is assertion to the throne, six years will have passed. In those six years, Macedonia will go through eight kings. 
so quite unstable for that time. This will leave Macedonia in a very poor state, close to third world status. There is no organized army, so they're getting constantly invaded by neighboring cities and tribes like the Illyrians and the Peonians. And you can't, you know, forget the Thebans and the Athenians looking to occupy as much land as they can. Philip's dad was Amindas III, and his mother was Evredikin. Uh, I don't know. How, I don't know how you you're Evredikin. It's Evredikin in Greek. It's easier to say. And Philip in English, just so you know, is Philippos. Anyway, let's go back to his dad. Amindas is his name. He ruled from 393 to 370. Somehow the universe orchestrated the amazing coincidence that Amindas' doctor was Aristotle's dad, Nicomachos. We don't know for sure that Philip and Aristotle were mates, but they were around the same age, so there's a good chance that they were. And if it wasn't for Aristotle, we probably would have had a very different Alexander, even though he probably didn't actually learn everything, anything from him, as we will see from his personality. And I am going to do an episode on Aristotle where we're going to compare, you know, what, what not compare, just try and find out what maybe he learned from Aristotle. Amindas is going to be kicked out of Macedonia on two occasions. First, from the Illyrians, uh, with the help from the, but then with help from the Thessalians, he's going to be put back on the throne, and a second time by Vardelis, king of the Dardanians. He teams up with other Illyrian tribes and also some cities of the Chalcidian League, including and led by Olynthos, which we are going to talk about in the future. Uh, yeah, he's kicked out by them for a second time, but the people love him, so they were happy to take him back. Towards the end of his reign, he's going to lose a massive battle against Vardilis. He loses fifteen thousand men, according to the others, and is ordered to pay a subordination tax. Subordination, suborber, subordination tax. In general, most kings of Macedonia were not great generals in battle, except for Philip and Alexander. Actors visiting Macedonia would come up with stories of their extravagant nature: gold, coal, gold clothes, silver cups, and expensive funerals. They were making up for the fact that their army sucked balls. <laughs> Some people must be like, "That sounds like a great night out." I mean, they were bad, right? They were losing battles left, right, and center. But Amidas knew how to talk. He convinced the Spartans to help him against the Olythians in 382. And in 375, while Athens was getting ready to fight the Thebans, he sold wood to Athens. They helped him against the Dardanians by allowing Macedonians to use some part of land. Anyway, uh, Amindas dies of old age. We think Alexander II, his older son, takes the throne, but he is soon killed um, by Ptolemy Alorites. Now you might know Ptolemy Alexander's friend. We're not talking about him. Some other guy. Anyway, this Ptolemy manages to usurp the throne. Justin tells us that Evridiki and Ptolemy had an affair, and she actually helped him kill her son and get the throne. So obviously not the best mother that comes to mind. This doesn't last long, and Perdikas, uh, Amindas' second son, kills Ptolemy, the motherfucker. Uh, this was probably one of the easiest murders to ever be committed. You kill the guy who killed your brother, probably your father. We're not quite sure, and he's been fucking your mom. And on top of that, by killing him, you get the throne of Macedonia. There are people who say that Evredikis didn't have a choice 
she was forced to marry Ptolemy uh, and she thought she was doing the right thing because by marrying him she was securing the throne for one of her descendants. As I said, this story is brought to us by Justin. Justin is a Roman philosopher, not a historian, even though it makes for an interesting read, as does Curtius, the other Roman source we have. I have no idea how to say it in English, so I'm just going to say it in Greek. Catias, uh, I've heard some people say it, but it just sounds weird. It's spelled Curtius, and that's how we say it in Greek. Anyway, they are not the most reliable, uh, you know, the Roman sources. They're not the most reliable. They tend to make a lot of stuff up. Eschines, the Athenian orator, tells us that Evredike was standing up for her sons and Plutarchos, or Plutarch you could say in English, says that she was a great role model for anyone who wanted to raise young children. So you can have your own opinion on the matter, obviously, whether Evredike was a skank or not. We should mention that there was a massive age difference between Evredike and Amidas. So they could have just been, so she could have just been using Ptolemy for sex, you know, mom has to get some sex every now and again. Perdiccas is king while Philip is freed from Thebes. Perdiccas must have been overjoyed to see his baby brother come back. I say this because right after, right when Philip returned, Perdiccas gave him a province to take care of. Unfortunately, we don't know which province exactly. For about three to four years, Philip is going to train his people in this province he has been given. And he has a bunch of enemies. Uh, Thrace, the Paonians, and it's not, I don't, I don't know if you should even pronounce it Thrace, it's Thraki in Greek. Maybe the person writing Thrace in English the first time wants to say Thraki. Anyway, Thraki, <laughs> the Paonians, they're all still there, you know, uh, so he's going to be taking his people into battle every now and again. Small battles, nothing major. He's also given the command of Macedonia's crappy infantry and cavalry. Cavalry, fucking hell. He's about 17 or 18 years old then. This is probably when he tests some of the moves that he learned from Epaminondas and Pelopidas. The lessons are still fresh in his mind. He would have seen where the army is lacking when compared to others. Around this time, we have Philip's first marriage with a lady called Phila, daughter of the king of the Elimiot tribe, Derva II. One of seven marriages for Philip, so, you know, a busy boy. Our, our sources don't do a great job at telling us the order of the marriages, though everyone agrees Olympias, Alexander's mother, was his fourth. This is where, where we have one of the biggest differences when it comes to Macedonians and the rest of the Greeks. Obviously, these marriages were underlined by a more diplomatic nature. However, some were out of love, like with Olympias, and some others, we'll get into more detail as we get along. There is no evidence proving that the Athenians were polygamous. We have the famous case of Pericles who went through a divorce only to marry again. If polygamy was the norm, he would have just remarried again. The Spartans are a slightly different story. They were polyfucks, not polygamous. If someone was thought uh, of, if someone was thought able to produce great strong offsprings, he was encouraged to impregnate as many women as possible. Perdiccas's reign lasted nine years, and apart from his devastating loss against the Illyrians, a battle which cost him his life and four other Macedonian lives, we don't know much about him. A loss of that magnitude is really going to damage Macedonian morale. We are in the year 359. The Illyrians are feeling great. They conquer a few cities in Upper Macedonia. 
the, the Peonians, Peonians can see that Macedonia is not doing great and under Agis they decide to invade Lower Macedonia. Macedonia needs a miracle to survive, annihilation is on the horizon. Macedonia's army is made up by farmers. They are called to take the role of a soldier through a lottery and because they are farmers they can only go to battle during certain months, the months that they wouldn't have to harvest. Since Archelaos, Macedon Macedonia has been split to Upper Macedonia and Lower Macedonia. In Upper Macedonia the king has limited power, there are many autonomous states and people there have a hard life. They live like nomads, so they are changing location based on the, and the environment and what is happening around them. They are also right next to the Illyrians at their mercy pretty much. Lower Macedonia, that is actually east of Upper Macedonia, has a much nicer reputation. Fertile land, lots of cities on the coast, good climate for growing vegetables, cereals and grapes which produce lovely tasty wine. Moreover, they uh, were breeding animals like horses and goats. The largest difference between Macedonia and other Greek states is that they don't have slaves for most part of the history at least. They were working the land themselves, which probably puts them in better shape than the other Greeks on average at least. We get information about Macedonian economy from the coins that were in circulation, circulation during each kingship. Fucking hell, I've had a glass of wine to help me relax. So you can either hear me slurping my words or hearing my card going poof, poof, poof. I think the slurping is easier, isn't it? Maybe? We'll see. Where the fuck was I? Yes, Macedonian economy. Uh, during Alexander's, Alexander II's reign, we can only find bronze coins. When Perdikas took over, some silver coins, coins were in circulation in the beginning, according to findings, but as his reign continued, only bronze coins were used. The king of uh, the Dardanians, Vardilis, has had silver coins. In Thraki, Cotis, king of the Odrysians, had some valuable bronze and silver coins. Amphipolis, uh, Amphipoli had gold and many silver coins and in Thassos of Thrace there have been 360 gold coins have been found there. After Perdiccas dies in the battle against the Illyrians, his son Amindas IV is put on the throne. Philip is given the role of prefect along with ultimate power. He was basically king but he wasn't given the title. At this time, the Illyrians under Vardilis and the Peonians under Agis decide to move deeper into Macedonia. The Athenians are supporting some guy Argeos. They want him on the Macedonian throne and as a result they send him to Pella with 3,000 hoplites and some mercenaries under a general called Mandias. The Athenians don't really care about uh, Macedonia. They want someone who can aid them to take back Amphipoli a former colony of theirs in Thrace, which they lost in 427, Amphipoli allows them to control the natural resources that are found in northern Greece, like silver, gold and timber. Anyway, Argeos and Mandias disembark in Methoni, a city in the Thermaic Gulf, just under Macedonia. Another contender to the throne was a guy called Pafsanias. He was probably getting help from from Thrace, from a Thracian king, uh, Virisavis, 
or maybe from the Chalkivikian League, uh, there is some evidence that someone called Pafsanias, a more common name that you think, challenged Perdikas's assertion to the throne. Uh, but we can't really be sure it's the same Pafsanias. Pafsanias was marching anyway from northeast to Pella. And there are also three other contenders, Archelaos, Arideos, and Menelaos. These are Philip's stepbrothers. His dad, Amindas, had children from another wife, Yigea. According to Justin, Philip has Archelaos assassinated. As a result, Arideos and Menelaos shit themselves and get the fuck out of the way. They find refuge in the city of Olynthos. Now, it's clear how serious things are. There are contenders everywhere. Uh, but you have a child king, Amindas IV, um, who obviously isn't capable of coping with what's happening. Macedonians, um, Macedonians have a history of being really hung up on the idea that power has to be passed on from father to son. There's a story about a king in the 6th century Aeropos, who was actually a baby. <laughs> they took him to the battlefield while fighting the Illyrians. The Macedonians were getting their asses kicked nearly every time they were fighting the Illyrians. But this time, with baby Aeropos, the gods looked down on them and blessed them with a great victory. But the Macedonians since then have decided that they've evolved, and they name Philip as their king. At this time, he's 23 years old. Justin says that he was pressured by the people to take the kingship. We're going to see how Philip wins battle after battle. He's not just a great general, he has amazing, he has amazing re- rhetoric skills. He's, he's able to talk the Macedonians into believing they are good at fighting, <laughs> and it works. Uh, in these early days of Philip's kingship, one of the major factors that helped him succeed was money and marrying the right girl. In the future, his army is going to be unstoppable, but not just yet. He marries a second time, this time the daughter of Varadilis, the king of the Illyrians. Uh, This allows him, at least for a few days, to have peace, which in turn gives him some time to organize his army and work out how he's going to deal with the Peonian threat that is just ahead. We don't know where he found the money, perhaps his new father-in-law. We unfortunately don't really know. Regardless, he manages to pay the Peonians off so they don't invade this country. This is where Philip now gets lucky. Around this time, he's officially named, around the same time he's named King of Macedonia, the King of Thrace, Cotis, is murdered and his successors, and his successor is Kersovleptis. Kersovleptis is put to the test by two other guys, Virisadis and Amadokos, this turmoil works in favor of Philip because Thrace's strongest kingdom, the kingdom of Odrison, is split. Uh, Varisavis gets the western part of his kingdom, Amadokos the central part, and Kersovleptis the eastern part. Philip then bribes Varisavis to kill Pafsanias, a contender of the Macedonian throne, as we have seen. But the most serious threat is that of the Athenians. The personification of this threat is Argeos. And let's see how Philip deals with him. Shit's about to get funny. Anyway, Theodorus claims that Philip declares Amphipoli as an autonomous state. So he's telling the Athenians, I'm I'm allowing you to do with Amphipoli whatever you want. In reality, Amphipoli was already autonomous. (laughs) The Athenians, however, didn't know this. 
and they found the new king quite lovely, and as a result, they no longer offer Arieos help. Mandias, the admiral who was helping Arieos, and Arieos himself, are now stuck in Methoni, with some mercenaries and a bunch of punk-ass Macedonian exiles. Arieos decides to march to Aegeus, and he's hoping to get some support there. Aegeus and Pella are close. According to Google Maps, it's a 10-hour walk. So Arieos gets to Aegeus, but doesn't get the support he was hoping for. They probably have already heard that the Athenians have abandoned him. Moreover, Philip is just down the road. Philip and his cavalry can cover a distance of a 10-hour walk in under three hours. People don't want to fuck with Philip. You know, you heard what he did to his stepbrother. What do you think he's going to do to Arieos once he gets his hands on him? Eventually, he does get his hands on him. He bumps into him as Arieos is returning to Mathoni, so he can meet up with Mandias, the admiral. Arieos is probably killed in battle along with most of his mercenaries. We don't know specifically what happened. After all this happened, Philip sends a letter to Athens. He promises them Amphipoli and asks for an alliance. The Athenians agreed. All of the above was Philip's first year as king. He managed to add order to a completely disorderly city-state. Theodorus claims that because of Philip's well-calculated words, he gives the Macedonians courage. But this just buys him some time. The Macedonians favor the good king. Uh, we had that messed up period of eight kings in six years. This shows us that if you're crappy at your job, you're losing battle, the people don't like you, the army doesn't like you, you eventually are out, simply. Out or out, you know, out of life, out of luck, out of everything. People want to have a good time and a stable economy. Heraclitus, a pre-Socratic philosopher, had said, polemos patir pandon. Uh, which in English is war is father to everything. Philip knows this. We're going to talk more about how Philip changed the army of Macedonia in the next episode.